у нас ничего не получилось тогда, и мы должны научиться на собственных ошибках и требовать свободы иллюстраций, потому что мы народ европеец, и потому что мы патриоты, и мы стоим против орды. Люстрации! 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 Howdy, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Russia Guy. It's May 2nd, and I'm coming to you about two days after as many as 12,500 people demonstrated in Moscow in support of Internet freedom, rallying against the attempted blocking of the instant messenger telegram. I've devoted the past several podcast episodes to the technical details surrounding Russia's Internet censorship. But today's show focuses on one of the organizers of Monday's rally. I spoke to Mikhail Svetov, a member of the Russian Libertarian Party's Federal Committee. So what are you going to learn about on today's episode? Mikhail told me how Monday's Internet Freedom Rally came together and explained the organizing role his political party played. We talked a bit about the Russian Libertarian Party and its relationship with Telegram founder Pavel Durov and opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Mikhail also summarized his speech at Monday's demonstration, explaining what he's all about politically. And finally, he shared his expectations for Internet freedom in Russia, which he says has only grim prospects if the protest movement now beginning in Moscow doesn't get smart or get lucky. Now here's my interview with Mikhail Svetov. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me. So I'll just get right into it. The The first question I had for you was, um, how did Monday's internet freedom protest come together? And what role did you play in organizing that rally? Well, I, I was one of the organizers, and it came about really spontaneously. I mean, we uh, sent the paper to have the uh, rally set up on, uh, on, the fir- on, on the 30th of April, and we didn't really expect to get permission, but we did. And I think the reason why we got it is uh, because they thought we we're going to spoil the Alexei Navalny's rally, on the, which is going to take place on the 5th. And they didn't expect us to um, amass as many people as we did. So, because they didn't know much about us, and uh, nobody really understands what libertarianism is, they don't really see us as a threat yet, which I think they will start see us as from now on. Um, but it was luck and um, a well, a job well done, put together. And were you coordinating with Navalny's people from the start, or did that come about later? No, we uh, we only contacted Navalny after we got the papers from the, um, uh, from the mayor. And, uh, we, we co- but right after that, we contacted him and said, well, here we are, we're having a rally and we don't want to spoil your rally. And how about you, know, you helping us you know, spreading the information about, uh, about the rally taking place? And he said, that's great. And then we invited him to, to, to speak um, on the stage and he agreed. And it was, I think it was the first time since 2017 that he actually spoke on the rally in Moscow which is pretty awesome. Oh, really? Yeah. Because the rest has all been his presidential campaigning around the country? Yeah, he was campaigning around the country, and he didn't have uh, a proper rally in Moscow. He, ha- he held a lot of uh, unsanctioned rallies, which does not allow you to, to, have, a, to have a stage. And uh, oh, oh, no, there, there, was, there was a rally uh, against the renovations where he sort of forced himself on the stage. So that was his last time. 
the the Russian Libertarian Party does it have pre-existing connections to either Telegram or Pavel Durov or Navalny? Have you worked together or coordinated anything in the past? Yeah, we worked together with uh, Navalny a lot. We uh, a lot of libertarianism uh, a lot of libertarians worked on his presidential campaign in Kaliningrad, for example. Basically, everyone in his um, in his office are from Libertarian Party of Russia and in many other in, other in many other cities as well. So we have a long history of working together with Navalny. And with Paul Durov, um, we were in touch with him in 2012, where he used to comment occasionally in the group in Kontakte. Um, but since then, we never spoke to him, and he sort of contacted us after he saw that we were preparing the rally and offered his help. He reached out to you? He reached out to us, yep. I see, okay. And would you? I, I'm aware that, that Durov has... Is, is he a self-professed libertarian or yes, are his he, views that he, he, he is, his, right? He's self-professed libertarian and he's been libertarian for many, many years. Is he a member of the Russian Libertarian Party or who, who knows? No, he, 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 never joined. he never joined, but he talked to us in 2012 and uh, he identifies as a libertarian. Mm -hmm, right. And Navalny, I mean, he, he doesn't belong to any party other than the one he's been trying to create for several years. But would you say that, I mean, he, you, you've said he, that his presidential campaign appealed to many libertarians. Would you say that his platform and his views often also appeal to libertarians, that they they overlap in lots of ways? Absolutely not. I think his, <laughs> uh, presidential, his uh, presidential program is quite terrible. But the reason we're supporting him is because we believe he's being sincere in his uh, opposition to the government. And we think that's what's important right now. We're going to have a lot of time to argue uh, with each other after after we got rid of this repressive government regime, but right now we have to work together. But his his platform is quite terrible. What are the general highlights of the Russian Libertarian Party's platform currently? I mean, what are some of the the biggest reforms that they would like to see put in place? Oh, there's so many. It's going to take hours for me to explain <laughs> well, all. Well, give them. me give me like you know the three biggest ones or we'll, we won't even say they're the biggest because then you, maybe you'll 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 worry about leaving something out. But what are the first three that come to your mind? Is illustration a big one? Is that specific to libertarianism? Illustrations is a big one. That's the one I've been forcing uh, strongly. It's a strong anti-establishment. Uh, um, it's a strong anti-establishment. What, what's the word? I forgot the word. Anyway, uh, so yeah, illustrations are very important. And uh, but it's not really part of libertarianism. It's part of the you know how we're going to reform. If there's no if there are no illustrations, there there going to be no reforms. So if you if we're talking about ideological highlights, then I'd say it's the reform of the educational system. And I think that's the, uh, the conversation you're having in the US right now. We'd like to install a voucher system for the uh, high school and uh, for, the for the school system. So there's more competition between schools and the um, um, competition between schools and the way they teach, you know, and uh, the, the kind of the teaching material they use. And for f in order to have that, we have to have a voucher system because right now everything is decided by the central government and basically all schools operate according to the same curriculum, according to the same, uh, same rules that have been passed on to them. And that just destroys initiative, that destroys competition and it makes schools vulnerable to the uh, government propaganda. And I'd say that's a very big one we'd like to fix because right now the government uses uh, public education as a tool uh, to subject people to their own agenda and we'd like to get rid of that. So that, that's a big one. The other one, we'd like to uh, reform the uh, taxation, uh, the system of taxation, the way people are being taxed. And uh, again, 
uh, well, you know a lot about Russia, so you, you know that uh, in Russia we don't really feel how much, how many taxes we're paying, because everything is deducted before we get money, uh, before we receive salary, before people. Uh, but it's already a flat tax, is it not? Well, it's a flat tax for the income, but then there's a, a VAT. There's a, there's a lot of import taxes and there's a lot of specific taxes for different businesses, and it all amasses to a very, to a very high level. And we don't want it to be simple. We actually want it to be hard. We want people to pay the taxes themselves, just like it happens in the U.S., so people are conscious how much money the government takes from them. Right now, people are not aware how much taxes they're paying, and because of that, it's very hard to argue. Uh, because of that, it's very hard to explain to people that taxes are bad and we want to uh, and we want to explain that taxes are bad and for that you know we need to people to feel how much they're actually losing so um, it's like it's kind of two-step system first we'll let people feel how much they're paying and then they're gonna support us in reducing the the, the, the amount of tax they're paying and the third big one I'd say um, uh, to reduce the um, uh, so in, in Russia it's very hard to set up your own business. It's all riddled with the red tape and bureaucracy and a lot of uh, government permissions. So we wanted to really get rid of that. There's no point why we have to go through all this uh, nonsense to, to, to do something productive. And it's a lot of wasted money, it's a lot of wasted energy, it's a lot of wasted potential. And that's our third big one, to get rid of the government regulations. Now, do you, is, do you, in, in Russia, do you believe it's the case that the regulations are so problematic because they are enforced with corruption or the regulations themselves, even if they were being implemented properly, that's also not okay. It's too much either way. I think it's too much either way. I'm a libertarian, so mm -hmm. uh, I okay. think you have too much regulations <laughs> in the States as well. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I th I'd like to see as little regulations as possible, uh, but in Russia it's much worse than anywhere else because we basically inherited a lot of systemic problems from the Soviet Union that were never reformed, never changed. And that makes our lives much harder. Well, if I could bring it back to the to Monday's protest, I wonder, what do you think the significance is of the rally in Moscow? And then maybe also if you could comment on the demonstration that I don't believe the libertarians arranged, but the one that occurred a day later in St. Petersburg that had significantly lower turnout. I mean, how do you... How do you uh, measure the significance of these two rallies? Uh, it depends on what's going to happen on the 5th. We, we sort of passed the baton to Navalny with our rally, and we did it consciously, and we hope he's going to use it. I'm not sure his plan, like, I'm not sure the way he planned his rally on the 5th right now is going to work, if he's going to adjust it, and uh, he's going to ask people to go to the Roskomnadzor, the, the agency that actually is blocking the internet right now is going to be a smart move. If you're going to make this smart move, then a lot of um, unexpected things may happen. If not, then it's all just going to go down the drain, I'm afraid, because 12,000 people is not enough. And you're saying make the rally about Roskomnadzor or actually s tell people to assemble outside at the headquarters? To assemble outside the headquarters. I think it's the only smart... Instead of going to... Yeah, well... Instead his, of going his, to Manier's? No, no. His, right now, he's asking people to, uh, go, to go to the Tverskaya Street, which is like the central Moscow street. And it's poor... And then they're supposed to march to Manier's? Or what are they supposed to do? Are they just supposed to assemble at Tverskaya and that's it? They're supposed to assemble at Tverskaya and just have a walk, really. And that's the way he's been holding his rallies for many, many months now. 
that's how they looked like and I think uh, it's a terrible strategy and I think this time he has an opportunity to make it more purposeful and uh, if he's gonna listen to um, to if he's gonna listen to to to, to what I suggest then it's it may be a success maybe so you're saying that the the significance of the Monday gathering really isn't clear yet because it'll depend on what happens next but that it's essentially set the stage for something more significant to occur or for the movement to kind of become something bigger, I guess. At least that's what I hope uh, is going to happen. There's a lot of uh, variables, which, I mean, if, if government is smart and is not going to crack down on us, and if Navalny is stupid and he's not going to ask people to go to Roskomnadzor, then the situation is going to just disappear. But if government is stupid and going to crack down on us, and Navalny is smart and he's going to go to Roskomnadzor, then uh, something may happen. I see. Okay. Can you summarize your speech uh, uh, from Monday? I mean, what were the main points you made to the to the crowd? Because I know that following on Twitter, it seemed like your speech, along with maybe Navalny's, kind of got the most feedback. It was the most. It was the liveliest uh, address. Well, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of issues I'm trying to solve with uh, my public rhetoric, uh, <laughs> if, if if that makes sense. And, sure. Uh, yeah. One of and one of them is I try to explain to people what illustrations are. And illustrations is basically, there's a lot of, when people, uh, when people are unqualified to do a certain job, they shouldn't be allowed to do that job. You know, a, a pedophile, he's not qualified to work at school, for example. You know, we're not letting pedophiles to teach children. So, and people who are corrupt, and we know they're corrupt, and they stole millions and millions of dollars, and they, le and they passed a lot of destructive laws, they're unqualified to be in the government. And uh, this kind of process, all of the Eastern European countries went through that process, and that's what allowed them to reform. It happened in Western Europe as well, in Austria, for example, uh, before, uh, when, um, the government, uh, when the Austria was transforming from the, uh, from the empire, from the monarchy to the republic, they had the Habsburg law, which basically forbade the aristocracy to get involved in politics for 100 years and actually forced the Habsburgs from Austria for that 100 years. And it was repealed very, very recently because it was in clash with the, European, with the laws of the European Union. But it was in place for over 60 years. It's, it's quite stunning. So you need that kind of uh, cleansing process for the, for the country to reform, and that's what I'm arguing about it. And at the moment, I'm the only one doing that, so that's why I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself all the time, but I think that's the, my most important message right now. And uh, the other things is, the other issues I'm solving is, the government had a monopoly on talking about, you know, loving your country, being a patriot, being a Russian, for many, many years, for over 30 years. And opposition sort of shied away from using that rhetoric, and I'm trying to bring it back. I'm trying to get to, to take it back from the government and prove that, you know, if you're a patriot, if you love your country, if you want your people to prosper, you, there, there's no way you can support Putin because he's opposite of that. He's, uh, um, uh, he, he, uh, he basically built a crony government, you know, and a patriot, patriot can't, can't be for cronyism. Uh, he, uh, he dismantled the, the rule of law and if you love your people, you want them to have a rule of law, that sort of things. And that's what my speech was all about. And that's the kind of uh, issues I'm trying to solve for the opposition since nobody else is really doing it. And I'm really upset. How do you think the patriotic issues break down when you come to the political topics that Putin and the establishment essentially use to rally conservatives? So when it comes to, say, I don't know, I mean, gay rights, for instance, I would think that overall, 
Russian voters and members of the Russian public are not particularly interested in gay rights. And so presumably that's going to be an issue where to be a, a kind of to be accepted as a patriot, you have to. And maybe, you know, maybe maybe I mean, maybe patriots are just all going to be homophobic. But if you're not homophobic, but you want to present yourself as a patriot, is there is, I mean, what how do you how do you play that? What's the what's the political calculus there? And that's just an example. It's not just LGBT issues. No, I, 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 other, I understand I mean, what you're saying completely. Absolutely. Um, but as a libertarian, I'm actually very flexible in the kind of rhetoric I'm using because libertarianism, if you, as you know, I think, is, a, um, is about the rights and not about... We don't have our own cultural agenda, really. So we can adjust. Uh, we, ha- we are very particular about what kind of laws should be in place. And that's why we're pro-LGBT, for example, right? Because we're against discrimination, but we're also against political correctness. So we can play that, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to defend the rights, you know, to be politically incorrect against LGBT, for example, against people the the masses uh, per, uh, supposedly dislike. But I'm also going to defend their rights because that's what's really important. That's what libertarianism is all about. And I think those two issues, and that's what I'm trying to explain with my lectures. And if you were following my, tele- uh, my Twitter, you know that I've been having lectures every week for the past many, for the past, I think, eight months in different cities of, Ma- of Russia. And that's basically what I'm explaining. I'm explaining, hey, guys, look, we're libertarians. We, do, we are libertarians. We don't care what... Uh, cultural affiliation you, you hold. You know, you can be a nationalist, you can be um, LGBT person, you can be a homophobe. You're all welcome as long as you respect each other's rights. You don't have to like each other, you don't have to, you know, hang out with each other, but uh, let's agree to, to respect each other's rights because that's what's important, and that's my spin to it. What about on foreign policy? What, what's the, what is the Russian Libertarian Party? Uh, what, are their, what are their stances, really? I mean, because... With, with I mean with Russia right now, the two I guess the, I mean the two remaining hot spots that are of interest I suppose in the West are there's still Ukraine and probably Syria. Does the Libertarian Party have a particular position on either of those two, uh, you know, global tensions or whatever? Libertarians are isolationists at heart, so obviously we're against getting involved in Syria, and that's uh, I think we have that in common with libertarians in the U.S. as well. Um, who are against their government being involved in Syria because, because it's, it's not a problem. Uh, Ukraine is much harder. Before the war in Ukraine, I actually wrote um, an article in English which was reposted by Washington Post where I explained to the libertarians in the U.S. that, hey, you know, Russia is the aggressor. You know, it seized the Crimea, you know, and it's um, provoking war in Donbass. And people hated me for that. But now, the situation, you have to be a realist at a certain point. I think it's impossible to give Crimea back because any politician that's going to attempt to give it back is going to lose popular support and, um, and just going to lose any influence to the way you know, the country is going forward. So uh, I'm for the second referendum. I'm for, and my party is for the second referendum. We are... I think it's great. It's a good idea to invite United Nations to oversee the elections, uh, to to oversee the referendum, and any government, any foreign government that wishes to oversee the referendum is welcome to do that. And I think that's a, if if um, the international community is going to accept that, I'll be very happy. I think the referendum is going to be pro uh, pro staying with Russia. Do you think Russia will ever actually 
hold a second referendum? I mean, is that something that's only possible under a bright new world or brave new world where, where Putin's gone? Yeah, we were talking about Russia after Putin. Putin is not going to hold a second referendum, obviously, but uh, the, only, uh, the only way to solve that issue uh, and not lose, you know, not lose control over what's happening is to hold a second referendum. It's impossible to just give it back. Um, that's just not an option. Last, last questions I have here, I kind of just wanted to pick your brain about what you expect regarding Telegram in the future. Where do you think Russia will be a year from now? Do you think Roskomazar will succeed in making it too difficult for Russians to use Telegram? Or will, the, or will you know, Telegram's users in Russia, are they dedicated enough and are Telegram's coders talented enough that they're going to keep the app popular and working smoothly? Where do you think things will be a year from now? I'm trying to frame the issue as the civil rights issue and not just about Telegram, because I think eventually Telegram is going to lose. It's going to get become cumbersome to use, and uh, the government is going to just just pull the switch and turn off half of the internet, uh, which is uh, which is threatening to do right now. So if we're not successful in our rallies, if nothing's going to happen, like soon, then next year I think the situation is going to be much more grave, and we're going to have uh, much fewer tools. To, um, to do anything about it. So I, I, I'm not very optimistic and, and I'm going to get very pessimistic if in August, for example, we lost. What happens in August? No, I mean like by the end of August, if this entire you know, protest movement, movement yeah. is going to sort of fiddle away, then, uh, then we lost and it's going to stay very bad for the very long time. I see. Okay. Well, that's great. Is there anything that uh, you wanted me to ask you about or any, any, anything extra you wanted to say before, before we part? Okay. Uh, so uh, I, a lot of foreign media wrote about a rally, but they didn't mention that it, was actually, uh, that it was actually organized by the Libertarian Party of Russia. BBC, for example, they didn't mention it. The, this, uh, I think a couple of other um, newspapers didn't mention it, that, that mentioned the rally. And it's very sad because people are complaining, you know, hey, you know, there's no opposition in Russia, there's just Navalny. And, but you, you're guys the ones making that a reality because, no, there are, there are other forces <coughs> in Russia. And I know that in the West, libertarians are sort of like marginalized and kind of a fringe. But in Russia, and, it, and I'm not bragging, but in Russia, there, there's Navalny, there's us, and there's nobody else right now because we're the only opposition, like functional opposition party that is not sponsored by the government. And also, which is important, we're the only grassroots organization in Russia. We didn't organize a, a, around a certain, like you know, a famous person, for example. We didn't have, um, we didn't have a sanction from the government to, to, to get created. We sort of uh, talked, and it was a. Uh, it was just a discussion board on the internet where we decided, hey, well, why not make a libertarian party? And we did. And we're, I think we did quite well considering the circumstances that we didn't have resources, we didn't have any media exposure, and we just worked uh, our way into, into where we are right now, right now. And I think that's an achievement. And please don't downplay it when you write about something that's, that we do because it, it means a lot to us. That's my interview with Mikhail Svetov, a member of the Russian Libertarian Party's Federal Committee. You can find him on Twitter at msvetov. I'll add a hyperlink to the description of this episode. 
Mikhail tweets and video blogs, mostly in Russian, but as you've heard, he speaks marvelous English. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more like it, please consider pledging a little bit of money to this podcast at patreon.com backslash Kevin Rothrock. I'd like to thank the listeners already contributing to the sound, recording, editing, and hosting costs of this podcast. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time. Говорят мы пеки буки, как выносит на земля. Дайте что ли карты в руки погадать на короля. Ой-ля-ля, ой-ля-ля.